I dare say, uh, somewhere in the world on Monday night, somebody's going to walk outside just as the sun falls below the horizon and look up in the sky and see Jupiter and Saturn. Have you been following this? Talking? I had a conversation earlier about it, how these two planets are coming together, um, uh, appearing in the night sky, almost indistinguishable. And this is a once-in-a-lifetime event. Uh, perhaps a, is it the winter solstice, darkest night of the year, this bright light in the sky, calling it the Christmas star, reminiscent of the star that appeared to the wise men. And I, I wonder if there will not be someone who walks outside their home just as the sun falls below the horizon and looks up and sees this luminous object in the night sky, sees the rest of the stars beginning to appear, uh, stands in awe and wonder at this majestic display and discovers in a moment how big the universe is and how small inconceivably small they are. I wonder if for that person, they will not also inevitably begin to ask those questions that you just have to ask when you have that feeling. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why am I here? Where is God? What's the point of all this? What is the end result of all this? Where is this going? What's the goal? What's the purpose? All, all those questions. Uh, somewhere this week, maybe Christmas Eve, somebody's going to walk out of their mansion to receive that last delivery from the FedEx truck. It comes screeching in to the driveway and get that last package that they're not even really sure why they bought, to add it to the big pile of things that they have purchased, many of which they wanted and some of which they didn't even really want, and though hoping that this last gift will mean something, they will receive it from the postman and still kind of empty. And they'll turn around and walk back into their big house full of lots of stuff, and they'll say, what's the point of all this? What's the, what's the end goal here? What's the result that I'm hoping for? What am I, look, where is God? Where are all of we? I, maybe there'll be somebody, maybe it'll be you this Christmas, this year 2020, as you uh, settle down in your home to celebrate Christmas not with the people you typically celebrate Christmas with. Not observing those familiar traditions with the familiar people. And there will be something of an emptiness there. There will be a loss there. There will be something missing. And I wonder if you will say, what? Reflecting on 2020 and pandemics and political uproar. And what is, what is going on? What is the purpose of all this? Where's this headed? What's the end goal? What, where is God in the midst of all of this? If you are asking those questions, if you discover yourself asking those questions, if you can imagine all the people who will be asking those questions in the next few days, you'll be in good company because that's what human beings have been doing since there were human beings asking those questions. What's the end goal? What's the purpose? Why am I here? What does God want from me? All those things. And in fact, 
to highlight the fact that people have been asking these things for a long time, if you were to open up the Westminster Shorter Catechism, you know, catechism is this sort of instruction in the faith that um, is taught by way of question and answer. So you, there's a set question and there's a set response. And over time you memorize these things. And um, I didn't have to memorize this, but my grandparents did, my parents did. For some reason, it's sort of fallen out of practice in the church. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, written a few centuries ago, begins with those questions. That's where they start. What is the chief end of humanity? What is the goal? What are we doing here? What's the point? Where is it going? So they're asking the same question as the guy looking at the stars and the woman receiving the package and you and me as we celebrate Christmas differently. What is the chief end? As in the telos is the Greek word. The goal. The ultimate purpose. The thing for which we are shooting. What is the chief end of man? It has a simple, straightforward response that these Westminster folks sort of extrapolated from the Scriptures and put in a sentence. Their response that folks learn as they learn the catechism to the question, what is the chief end of humanity, is the chief end of humanity. Anybody know it? That's right. It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Those catechisms are effective, aren't they? Crystal and Edwin have piped up, and I think Ina too, right? Maybe a few others. Yeah. The chief end, the goal, the telos, the purpose, the ultimate end, the point of all this is so that we might glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So as you're thinking about these questions, as we are thinking about the ultimate questions of the ultimate end, but also as we come to the end of Advent, and Christmas is almost upon us, I think that familiar phrase from the Westminster Shorter Catechism um, can help us enter into this end a little better. And I also think it really actually begins to sound familiar for those of you who have been joining us as we've traveled through Advent. Because we had a story, didn't we, that was setting the frame. A story begun with the star appearing in the heavens and kings from the east seeing it and going. They had a, a goal, a purpose, an end, which was to make it to Bethlehem to see the Christ. And what did they do when they got there? They fell down and worshipped Him. They glorified Him and gave Him their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the end for the journey of the wise men, which is setting the frame for the end of Advent, which is also the end of everything, your life and mine, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That was setting the frame for us. But I think also those of you who have been praying with us through Advent, with Psalm 85, which begins with what? Remembering God's covenant promises, remembering His faithfulness to this congregation here at Newland Presbyterian, remembering God's faithfulness to you, and then crying out because we do live in a dark time, as dark as, the, dark as the night sky that we shall see tomorrow when Saturn and Jupiter line up. Cry out, and then we listen to God speaking through the creation. Saturn's lining up, the glorious heavens above, but also God speaking through His Scripture, through His Word, through the testimony of those um, in the church who love Him and trust Him. 
And also as we hear this promise that God, who has once joined heaven and earth in His Son Jesus, the child born, the Son given, is also going to consummate, bring all that to an ultimate end when He returns and we are able then to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. When we pray, we glorify God. When we pray and experience God with us, we're able to enjoy Him and enjoy His presence. I think it'll sound familiar, this um, statement from the Westminster Divines. To those who have been thinking about John the Baptist this last week, and that painting by Matthias Grunewald as he points... Liv just smiled at me, and I was supposed to send her that picture. I just remembered Liv. <laughs> as as uh, John the Baptist, though he wasn't at the cross, is brought in by the artist pointing to Jesus, glorifying the Savior who hangs on the cross for us, for you. And to enjoy the benefit of forgiveness, being drawn into God's family, being made part of His body. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. This This is the end. This is the purpose. This is the goal. It's the telos. Yes, of the whole world. Yes, of your whole life. Yes, of the wise men's journey and the psalmist's prayers and John the Baptist pointing. It's the end. It's the goal. It's also the goal of Advent. What's the purpose of all this that we've been doing? It's ultimately to glorify God. And to enjoy Him forever. Interestingly, the three passages in our lectionary reading for this week point to that same kind of purpose. And it actually is going to help us a little bit understand what it means to glorify God and to enjoy Him. You know, the lectionary, we typically don't follow the lectionary. I typically take a book of the Bible and we preach through the whole book. It's a different method. But most Christians, most churches... Uh, this Sunday, are following the lectionary. And so these are the set readings for the day. So the first one that we're going to focus on is the story of David from 2 Samuel. The second one is the story that um, Holly reminded me we needed to sing about this morning, which was uh, this this, um, hymn that tells the story of Mary and the Annunciation, Gabriel coming to her. And the end result of that, did you hear the refrain? Gloria, to give glory to God. All this, you know, it fits together. And so we're going to look at that as the second story. And finally, we're going to come to our passage that we'll read this morning. So I'm going to read the scripture at the very end. And that is going to be from Romans. It is uh, the last couple verses in the whole book of Romans with the heading doxology. So after all the heavy lifting Paul does throughout this most theological of his works, We come to the end, to the doxology. Do you know what doxology means? Doxa in Greek means glory. What do you do at the end? Paul does it in his letters, in his life. We do it, I mean, it's the whole whole thing. We give glory to God. And that's going to help give us some words to say, perhaps, in this week ahead. So, uh, first story, first passage, first reading, comes to us from 2 Samuel. And those of you who walked with us a couple years ago through the story of David's life might remember some of these themes. How David was um, in the back kind of hill country keeping watch over his father's sheep. Samuel the prophet, old Samuel with a beard down low, comes into town and says, I'm going to anoint one of your sons king 
over Israel. And he goes through the long list of sons, the sons of Jesse, and none of them are the one that God has chosen. And finally, they bring in David, the youngest of them, ruddy-faced, the one they just send out to keep sheep. They bring him in, and this is the one. Samuel the prophet anoints David the king, this teenage kid, a shepherd who becomes a king. God has chosen him and anointed him. That's how David's story starts. And then he goes and serves in the courts of King Saul who tries to pin him to the wall with a spear. And he survives that by God's grace. And then he goes out and fights Goliath, the great giant of the Philistines. And he defeats him. And then he's chased out of town. And he survives in the wilderness, eventually gathers a a, a group of men and becomes a great leader. And then he comes back and is um, called king by all his people. And he moves the capital city to Jerusalem. He wants Jerusalem to be the political center of the nation, but also the religious center of the nation because he brings the Ark of the Covenant into the city. And that's where our passage for this morning picks up. David, seated on his throne in this grand palace, having um, run this remarkable race, lived this remarkable life, has now come to something of an end of that journey. He's arrived, hasn't he? And what he wants to do is a good thing. He wants to glorify God. And how does he want to do that? The passage for this morning has to do with David saying, I'm going to build God a temple. Here I am seated in this great palace in my throne room and the ark of the Lord still yet dwells in a tent. Remember the tent of meeting in which the ark of the covenant was carried and when they set it up in whatever place they set it up in the wilderness or then finally in the promised land, the ark of the covenant was kept in the holy of holies and it was this vessel overlaid with gold in which you would find the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone on which you would find Aaron's staff that budded, bringing this dead stick that brought forth life like the cross of Jesus, this dead wood that brings forth life in which you would find a bowl, a bowl full of manna, the bread come down from heaven. David sitting on his throne And the ark of God dwells in a tent. And he says, I'm going to build God this incredible temple because I want to glorify Him. You know what Nathan the prophet said when David consulted him, the prophet of God? Nathan said, David, do what's in your heart. Which is something our culture says a lot, doesn't it? A lot of time, we've had a couple of graduates. I wonder if at the graduation somebody said, follow your heart. You know, it's like one of those cliches that people just say and they mean well, but it's actually terrible advice. Because we know that our hearts are full of really beautiful and good things, but also our hearts are incredibly twisted and full of selfish things and, and sometimes evil things. Follow your heart? I mean, you can take this to extremes. Think about really evil people. Would we tell them to follow their heart? You say, well, I'm not so bad. I'll follow my heart, but really? Nathan told David to follow his heart. Thank goodness the Lord showed up that night and came to Nathan in a dream and said, Nathan, you need to go tell David he's not going to build me a house. He's not going to build me a temple. 
Remember, remind him. Here's that remembrance part from our prayers. Remind David that I am the one who sent Samuel to anoint him king. I am the one who preserved him and gave him victory over Goliath. I am the one who kept him safe when Saul tried to pin him to the wall with the spear. I am the one who protected him in the wilderness and gathered men around him and brought him back and set him on the throne. I am the one who has done all this. So tell David that actually he's not going to build me a temple. But here's how he can glorify me. Here's how he can glorify me. I'm going to make David a, a promise that actually one of his sons will build me a temple. That's going to be Solomon, right? One of his sons will build me a temple. And in fact, I am going to establish your throne, David, forever. Such that one of your, one of your sons will sit upon the throne forever. You won't build me a house, David. Here's what God says to him through Nathan the prophet. I will build you a house. You see how that changes the primary actor here? The one who works and is effective? David wants to give God glory and do something good for him. And certainly we have moved through Advent trying to be faithful, setting a frame with the wise men, praying prayers with Psalm 85, attending to John the Baptist. Some of us have been really working hard to offer ourselves up to prepare our hearts for Christmas, to receive Christ in a new way. Some of us realize, oh, it is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and I haven't, I haven't done anything. I bought some presents, I've decorated the house, but I haven't attended to my soul or God in the least. And so this is actually good news, because whether you've been working really, really hard, or whether you haven't done anything at all, God says, guess what? I'm the one who's going to do it. I'm the one who's going to build the house. I'm going to, want, going to be the one who will establish the king forever. I'm the one who will send the son. I'm the one who will become incarnate. We see what God has done. He's joined us as one of us. We couldn't force him to do that. We couldn't make God take on flesh. We couldn't make God heal people or bring our diseases to Him and say, heal us and God heal us. We can't make Him do that. We can't make God go to the cross. We can't make Christ give up His life. He says, I have the power to set it down and take it up. We can't make Jesus rise from the dead or to send to heaven or send the Spirit. We can't make God do any of this. We can't make Him promise to come again. After all of our work or inactivity, God comes and says, I will do it. And the way that you can glorify me and the way that you can enjoy me is by surrendering to that truth. And say, okay, God, I trust that you will do it. It is in our surrender. It is in David's obedience. He didn't try to build a temple. That we're able to rest and enjoy and also to glorify God. Same holds true in Mary's story. Mary, this teenage girl, um, sees an angel appear to her. Gabriel comes to her and says, Greetings, O highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Can you imagine? She's a bit afraid. And he says, Hey, a son's going to be born to you. And he'll be the son of the Most High. And Mary says, How will this be? as I am yet a virgin. 
How will this happen? In other words, kind of like David, what should I do? What do you want me to do, God? Maybe you're asking that for, for Advent, for Christmas. What do, you, what do you want me to do? And God says, you can't, you can't make God become incarnate, Mary. No, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The, there's this word. The glory of the Most High will overshadow you. And Christ will be born from you. And so too, as we prepare for Advent, as we say, God, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? God says the same thing to us that he says to Mary. Rest in me. Trust in me. Be obedient to me. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The glory of the Lord will overshadow you. And what does Mary do? She surrenders to that. Just as David was obedient, Mary's obedient. She says, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be unto me as you have said. So, okay, God, we give. We trust in you. We believe that you will work. That's how we glorify God. We say amen to what God promises to do and what God has done. And if you want to learn to say amen a little more powerfully, a um, little more biblically, well, I invite you to turn to Romans 16, the very end of the book, verses 25 to 27. Right now, I invite you to listen carefully and listen well, but I want you perhaps to attend to these words this week. It is the doxology at the end of the book where Paul says, Now to him who is able, who has the power, who can make effective any of these things, now to him, to God who is able to strengthen you, according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. In whom? In Jesus. And through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. At the end of everything, the, the goal, the end purpose of everything is to glorify God and to enjoy Him. It was true for the Magi who, at the end of their journey, fell down before Jesus. It was true for us as we offer up our prayers. The end goal is that we might glorify God and enjoy Him with us. It's true for John the Baptist who, at the end of his life, does what? Glorifies God, trusts God, points to Jesus. It's true for David who thought he'd arrived, who thought he'd come to the end of the journey, and the invitation was what? To trust in God to do the work and to glorify Him through His obedience. It was true for Mary, who hears this word and glorifies God. How? Through obedience, through surrender to what God has said. And it's the same is true for us. To Him, we give glory to Him, who's able to strengthen us so that we can be obedient, so that we can be faithful. And as we are faithful, we bring glory to God the Father, the only wise God through Jesus Christ. So I wonder in this week ahead, maybe you could attend to this passage a little. Just read it. Pray over it. And then you could begin to give glory to God, surrender to God in the thoughts that you think, in the words that you say, in the actions that you take, in the food that you prepare, in the relationships that you have, in the conversations in which you engage, in the places that you go. Could you give glory to God in those things and enjoy Him with you? 
Could you do that this Advent? As we approach Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, glory to God in your work. Glory to God in our community. Glory to God in your church as you pick up the phone and call someone who's been on your heart. Glory to God in your whole life and at the end. At the end of your life. Glory to God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Romans says, Now to him who is able to strengthen us according to the gospel and according to Jesus Christ preached. Hopefully we've heard Christ preached. And now...